0: Good morning, and welcome to the show. Of course, it is uh, the first day of August, as uh, we've now moved into the worst month of the year. No, that's not meaning you have to go back to school. Although, if you ask my daughter over the weekend, she's already dreading it. She's she was in just dis- distress all weekend that school's getting ready to start in two weeks. Isn't she a senior this year? Uh, no, that's my youngest daughter. She's a freshman. I have oh. two, I have two oh. seniors and a freshman this year. And then, of course, my oldest is right. now living in Germany. So I can sympathize with the freshmen. They're they're, they're all moving through. Yes. So, I see light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> Empty nester. Yes. <laughs> Big savings down the road <laughs> coming up. Out of the house at 18, not my job anymore. Um, anyway. Uh, No, I don't mean worst month of the year for going back to school. Uh, Technically, August tends to be one of the tougher months of the year for the market. And of course, uh, this is also particularly the case in the first year of a presidential cycle. And if you didn't read our newsletter this past weekend, um, it is also interesting from the fact that we've now had six straight months of up markets, right? So the market has not had a negative return in six months. Now, that doesn't, I mean, you go, that's great, right? Market just goes up every month. Well, that's true, but things just don't go up every month. You're going to have some negative months in here along the way, even with just normal bullish markets. Uh, six straight months is actually a very long streak without a negative month. So, August and September tend to be in the two months of the year that typically have a negative rate of return. So, just not trying to tell you to go sell everything go to cash i'm just kind of giving you a heads up here markets are very extended here we've had a great run in the markets would not be surprising we've talked about this before that you're going to have a little bit of a correction here at some point just something to be aware of now you know the current trend that we have in the market look is fine at the moment Uh, markets are going up we talked about uh, uh last weekend before last that we were back onto our money 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 i'll spit that out this morning money flow buy signal right back on that signal so that just that means that markets were more bullishly biased and we said at that point though that markets didn't have a whole lot of upside right so and really not much has happened uh after we bounced off the 50-day moving average and and triggered that buy signal um basically markets really haven't done much they've just kind of went sideways last week so again i think you can expect a little bit more of just just this kind of sideways churn here for just a bit now if we do start getting into and we'll talk about this in just a few minutes, but you know if we do start getting into some more negative news cycle here over the course of the next you know couple of weeks, there is risk to the downside. Look, we're very extended from the 50-day moving averages, We're very, very extended from the 200day moving averages. and we have not had a correction of 5 to 10 percent in a very, very long stretch for the market. So my point is simply that you know just be careful. Low volatility, we talked about this last week on the show, even wrote an article on it talking about the next Minsky moment. Um, Low volatility, what Hyman Minsky talked about is that periods of stability where there's very low volatility tends to lead to periods of higher volatility. Now, does that mean the market's going to crash? Absolutely not. It just means that you're going to have bigger potential drawdowns. That's all that means. So just something to kind of pay attention to relative to your money. Now, what could happen here over the next couple of weeks in particular that might kind of disrupt the markets well we've got a lot of negative news kind of coming through the cycle right now it's been kind of underneath the surface nobody's really paying much attention to it gdp was reported on friday we'll talk a little bit about this this morning in the next segment Uh, we we have an article out this morning called the grossly defective product Um, gdp came out exceptionally weaker than expected but lance it was six and a half percent growth for the second quarter yes it was but it was expected to be thirteen and a half percent so We had a tremendous drawdown on economic growth, the economy not growing nearly as strong as expected. Personal savings, personal spending all revised down in in these revisions. So again, things not quite as exuberant as, you know, people have thought, at least, or at this point. But they've run up prices in anticipation of these better than expected numbers, which didn't materialize. So this really puts markets at a much bigger valuation risk, particularly with earnings and sales going forward. But coming up this month in particular, Over the weekend, COVID, right, this is kind of the next cold war potentially for the markets, because COVID is now starting to rear its ugly head again, this is starting to put a little bit of pressure back on decision makers about potentially, you know, locking down activity. Uh, And and I don't mean that necessarily from the the standpoint of we're going to shut down the economy again, but If you start requiring mask mandates, these type of things, which is a very real possibility, at least in some states, probably not in Texas, but at least in some states, um, that's going to potentially limit outside activity, right? People are going to start to say, well, you know, maybe I won't take the risk. And so they make a decision not to go out, not to go to bars, not to go to restaurants, not to go to sporting events as we start to get back into football season here right around the corner that could potentially start to reduce that activity. And again, just the decision making process of this virus as it's kind of kind of starting to come back up here again. Hey, you've got a vaccine. Awesome. You can still get the Delta variant. So again, even if you're vaccinated, uh, as a good example, both of my wife's parents are vaccinated. They both have COVID (laughs) right now. So again, just it it starts to make people think about well am i going to take the risk even if i'm vaccinated well i'll take the risk so i won't go out to a restaurant right that's the type of potential that we could potentially see here as people make the decision not to take on activity and that also starts to limit potentially earnings growth expectations as we move into the last part of this year now there's some benefits to that as well people move back to shopping online of course so there's always some beneficiaries uh you know of any action of any action there's always a reaction So you always have to look for in the markets where that activity may shift to so we may see activity shift back more towards amazon which got you know absolutely beaten up on friday because of their earnings report maybe they get some of that activity back later this year the other side of this of course is the eviction moratoriums that's also something that uh, has not gotten a lot of press right now it just happened over the weekend but on saturday the eviction moratorium expired now what does that mean well for quite a few months now Um, Individuals have not been able to legally be evicted from their house for not paying rent. All of a sudden now that is no longer the case. And this potentially puts millions of individual Americans at risk of eviction because they haven't been making payments up to this point. Now, the question becomes, of course, have they been saving all their stimulus money and doing other things with it, like buying AMC stock and GameStop uh, stock uh, instead of paying rent? Well, maybe that's the case and maybe they'll all just kind of cough. Oh, it's like, oh, yeah, my rent's due. Here it is. Here's six months worth of rent. Um, Or is there going to be a shift of people being forced out of their rental properties um, into the marketplace? And that potentially has some economic ramification, not a tremendous amount, but it's something at least worth paying attention to but it may very well lead. Now, one thing that we have talked about before is that if I was a landlord, look, there's a lot of Americans that own a rental property or two rental properties outside of their normal job, right? It's just kind of their additional income source. And, you know, there's a lot of Americans in this country that own these little rental properties just as additional income sources. And they've been tied up now for over a year, not collecting rent, still having to pay taxes, and prices for homes right now are still very elevated. One thing we could see from this, and look, there's there's no guarantee here, but one thing we could see is a lot of Americans that got tied up into their houses, these rental properties that they were running over the last year, say, you know what? I'm just gonna take the higher prices in the market, sell the property at these higher prices. That potentially has the ramification of starting to shoot up inventories available for sale at a time that prices are beginning to peak in, in home prices. So again, there's a lot of things that can come out of this, but it's worth watching and paying attention to, particularly if you're long a lot of real estate stocks, long a lot of the market stocks right now, particularly in the month of August. There's a whole collusion of events from bills to everything else. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Everybody get up. This show of course it is uh 6 first day of august right so markets are pointing up this morning at the open not surprising first day of august always tends to be eh, a little bit stronger um this is just simply because portfolio managers getting ready for the month getting getting positions on their books so again first first days of the month tend to t- typically tend to at least open up stronger uh the question is whether or not they can maintain it um but I did want to come back and talk a little bit about this whole issue of of covid and what's happening with the pandemic and, and the economy, because, you know, this is the big concern, right? Is is you've got literally almost 50 percent of the economy vaccinated. You have the other 50 percent that's not within margins of error here in terms of counting. Um and so you kinda of got this stalemate right right now between, you know, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated. You've got a lot of political push to get people vaccinated. You've got a lot of, of other issues out there with people going, I don't really want to be vaccinated. If you live in Britain, apparently you just identify as a trans vegan because that will allow you to to not be vaccinated. Not sure how that is, but according to a story this morning, a revelation that half a million vegans in the UK could be prevented from having to take mandatory workplace vaccinations due to their beliefs being protected by employment law. Now, what employment law would protect a vegan? Well, vaccines are normally tested on animals. So if you're an ethical vegan, it violates your beliefs to be vaccinated because the vaccine was tested potentially or should have been at least. Uh, tested on animals first. So. Well, it is, it is being tested on animals. Uh, Us. Humans, <laughs> yes. That, this is true. There's also, there's also the whole violation of the Geneva Convention of testing vaccines on humans without going through animal testing first. But that's a whole different story for another day. Uh, but I did like this uh, tweet from Lawrence Fox this morning. It says, from this day forward, I self-identify as a trans-vegan. Which means I will only eat plant based food and medium rare sirloin steaks, chicken, pork scratchings, and salami. So there you go. <laughs> hot dogs should fall in there because basically, I, hot dogs are not real food. I like they're the, the menu. best. They are the best food on the planet, but don't really know what's in a hot dog. Don't wanna know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't wanna watch the sausage get made? Definitely don't watch a hot dog get made. Not sure what goes into that. I think that goes right after there with Spam. Good stuff, just don't want to know how it's made. Especially, why does it live in a can for 100 years and it's okay to eat? We found cans of Spam on the Battleship Texas. I would the, not From the 1940s. Did anybody eat in it? Oh, no. <laughs> Fly is probably still good. Probably is. Did you find any Twinkies? But it's not- <laughs> they didn't make those back. <laughs> if they did, those would still be good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... Um, so But as we kind of get into this, the point is, is that, uh, as we were talking about earlier, you know, the whole issue of this kind of COVID stalemate in the economy, of course, now with the vaccination rates kind of stalling here and infections rising. Um, the question is, is do people start making the decision to restrict activity in the economy? And that's going to be, you know, potentially problematic, especially with the more. Um lofty expectations of economic growth through the end of this year, which is what stocks have been pricing in ever since the beginning of this year. We started off the beginning of this year with expectations of hugely strong economic growth this year. And that's what stocks have been pricing in. It's like, oh well, if you've got you know economic growth of, you know, 14, 15%, whatever, right? You're gonna have you know, exceptionally strong economic uh, earnings growth so we can overpay for stocks and earnings will catch up. And that's kind of been the premise. But earnings have not really come in. Sorry, um, let me rephrase that. Economic growth has not come in nearly as strong as expected, which also means that earnings are likely to start disappointing after this quarter. Now, why is this quarter... So different well because you're comparing against a quarter last year where we actually shut down economic activity so when you're looking at earnings growth on a year-over-year basis yeah this quarter was going to look fantastic because you had no activity hardly in second quarter of last year versus this year now next quarter now we're comparing against a quarter of 30 percent economic growth so year-over-year comparisons are going to become much more challenging Um, in terms of trying to support valuations where they are. But, you know, the important thing here is is that if you – we have an article out this morning on our website called A Grossly Defective Product. And kind of really going through this idea that, you know, when you're taking a look at at GDP, how we report it, there's a lot of fallible measures to it. But most importantly, you know, estimates – Missed by a mile. Um, Atlanta Fed in in April of this year thought that we were going to see economic growth of nearly 13.5 percent came in at 6.5, which is even below their lowest estimate of 7.6. So, you know, really this whole, uh, you know, method of economic growth um, and how we're calculating it obviously is not capturing what's really happening in the economy and was overlooking a lot of the more obvious things, like a huge number of people sitting on the sidelines not working, um, collecting benefits, those type of things. So, again, that doesn't contribute to economic growth. It's actually a drag on economic growth, ultimately. But, you know, as we, you know, and, and the important thing here is, is, again, kind of looking at this on a historical perspective and start talking about the annual change of growth. And this was the, the the one thing. Now, look, this year we're still going to have one of the stronger rates of economic growth going back to the 1990s. But it's substantially lower already than it was initially expected to be. And we're likely in this quarter have seen now the peak of economic growth for this year. So first quarter of this year, we saw about 6.1% economic growth. Quarter two was 635 we're likely to see about a 3.5% growth rate in quarter three, and that's going to drop to around 2 2.5% by the time we get to quarter four. Next year, we're going to drop back in that 2% growth range that we've been in really since the beginning of, of the – since the financial crisis. Every year, we just kind of chug out this 2% kind of growth rate. And that a lot of that has to do with the amount of debts, the deficits, you know, all this that, that we've got going on in the economy that's suppressing economic growth. And that's not going to change. The things that we're doing, you know, passing spending bills and, you know, one point five trillion dollar infrastructure packages and and three and a half trillion dollar American rescue plans, it all sounds great on the surface, but it's all funded by debt and debt ultimately detracts from economic growth so yeah you get these little spurts in economic growth because you throw a lot of stimulus into the markets that's great but it's not sustainable and if you take a look at what's happening with savings rates right now take a look at what's happening with personal incomes those are all dropping back to normal trends of subpar growth rates and that's because now all that extra stimulus has been spent, right? It's been spent, it's run its way through the through the system, and now it's leaving. So personal savings rates are declining, disposable incomes are dropping as we see more of this kind of stimulus come out of the system. So without more checks and without more direct payments to households, it's going to be very hard to sustain the rate of growth economically that we saw in the first and second quarter of this year, really even, even last year. We did almost you know $5 trillion worth of stimulus last year. You know that's just not sustainable going forward. But but what we are left over with now is that great. We had this big boom of economic growth. That's awesome. Now we're stuck with the debt that has to be paid out over time. So you know it's all fun and games until the the, until the bill comes due, right? And and this is always the problem. And this is this is the mis, This is the, the kind of the the mistake that politicians continue to to repeat over and over again is that look we'll use debt to fund this and and create this activity and that's fine it creates a very short-term boost to economic activity but when that when that little boost to economic activity is over you're left with a debt it's kind of like going out and you know you don't have any money in the bank um, you have one credit card with you know with a, a bit of a balance on it so you go out for the night so you know what don't care anymore just we're going to go out and you go out to a really nice restaurant and you have a 500 dollars meal. you put it on the credit card it's awesome you go home you feel great you had a great time it's awesome you wake up the next morning and and well the dinner's over but you're still left with the credit card bill when it comes due. and that's That's what we have going on in the system is that we have this boost of excitement and and economic activity. And so we all get excited. We run out and buy stocks. But we don't think about the consequence of what's coming, which is going to be the hangover effect of all this debt that we're going to have to deal with. And that's going to suppress, ultimately, economic growth rates and returns on capital, et cetera. And so when we take a look at where we are in this kind of new, new normal And this is what people really overlook to a tremendous degree, is that if you look at the linear growth trend of the economy, so go back to 1947 when we first started tracking economic growth, and you take a look at the linear growth trend of the economy from 1947, it was growing at about 3.2% on an inflation-adjusted rate. And that linear growth trend held solid until 2007. And then in 2007, We had the financial crisis, instituted all this debt spending, right? And so we did recover, ultimately. But that linear growth trend dropped down to about 2.2% growth rate. Post the financial crisis, sorry, post the COVID crisis, now we're going to get back. But the new trend of growth will be even lower it was post the financial crisis and that's just assuming we don't have another recession ever again that we will maintain this new lower rate of economic growth but this is because of the debts and because of the deficits and the things we've gotten ourselves into but see we don't pay attention to these consequences of our actions we just assume that oh we're back to two percent growth we're good right two percent growth was never considered to be strong economic growth until post-financial crisis. Prior to the financial crisis, 2% growth rates was considered pre-recessionary. You had to be above 2% just to have escape velocity. Now we're just hoping to maintain 2% and calling that good enough. But it's not good enough. Take a look at what's happening with wealth inequality in the company, country, and you know exactly that it's not good enough. Be right back after the break. Boy, it's morning. To the Real Investment Show. So, you know, that uh, for a while I've talked about the fact that I'm pretty convinced that Amazon and Google listen to our conversations. You know either through our phones computers etc because you know you go talk about something and then some article or an ad pops up there says, is. Hey. yeah you know i was just talking to my wife the other day about buying an rv totally joking i'm getting ads everywhere about <laughs> rvs for sale i mean <laughs> my wife said if I ever buy an rv to make her drive around the country in retirement that she'll divorce me in a minute <laughs> so, not her idea of fun guaranteed out <laughs> <laughs> Just joking, babe, if you're listening. Uh, but no, it's interesting. So we're just talking about COVID, right? So an article just pops up on Google this morning. Can masturbation boost your immune system to fight COVID? What? According to the Sun, right? Uh, people are the so people are looking for ways to boost their immune system, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So, um, so they're looking to use immunity boosting supplements. You know, exercising more, eating right. Now, just by the way, eating right, exercising actually works to solve and to cure the most, one of the two of the leading causes of death in the country, right? Obesity and cardiac failure, right? Not locking down, I'm just saying we're not locking down the house because people overeat, right? Just (laughs) have to lock up the fridges. (laughs) (laughs) All right, <laughs> <But laughs> okay, I digress. Uh, Immunity-boosting supp- <laughs> immunity <boosting laughs> supplements, exercising, eating healthy, reducing stress, and quitting smoking are some of the common strategies to boost the immune system. But according to the Sun, now masturbating could be added to the list. Apparently, it increases your immune system 45 minutes afterwards. The, two, the study shows that men had more white blood cells in their system. And here's the good news. Uh, Department of Medical Psychology University Clinic of Essen, Germany, right? These are the, where the findings came from. Dr. Felix Gersh he's a gynecologist and obstetrician who specializes in women health, said that chronic masturbation may not prevent COVID, but it certainly won't hurt you either. So there, <laughs> there you go. See, this is what happens when you allow Google to listen to your conversations in the morning. That should not happen. And no telling what's going to pop up now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, look at here. Ads for. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Toys. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, back uh, so uh, this morning, Square, uh, of course, this is Jack Dorsey's other company, right? So if you didn't know this, Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter, also launched a company called Square. Square is a payment system. And they have been—both companies are publicly traded, by the way. But this morning— He is making an acquisition or or intending to make an acquisition of Australia's afterpay for $29 billion. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, because I think it says a lot about where we are in the economy as a function. You know, we just looked at a year where you had a tremendous number of people receive money from the government— to basically stay at home and spend money, right? So, the, you know, they got stimulus checks, they got extended unemployment benefits. Those are all running out next month, by the way, which will be another drag on the economy. But importantly, you know, the, the interesting thing here is one of the, you know, so so now apparently everybody's good, right? We've, we've, we've all got money to spend. We've got these excess savings rates, disposable personal incomes were spiking, in fact, these so, these uh, social payments from the government made up as much as 40% of disposable personal incomes at the peak here a few months back. So what's interesting about this and what Afterpay does is they make installment loans, very small ones, into the marketplace. So in other words, you can buy something now and pay for it over the next you know, four months, six months, whatever, right? There's a, there's a lot of companies it's not just afterpay. there's a bunch of companies out there right now and look even some of your major players, JP Morgan, American Express, et etc have, have all moved into these kind of installment loan type payments plans. But you know it just kind of goes to tell you that you know this is the problem that will continue to plague the economy going forward because if I'm having if I've got all this money, why do I need? installment plans. But more and more individuals are now moving into this market to where, oh, I can have it today. And this is this is really one of the 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 big changes economically. And we talk about the 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 generation of the 60s and 70s. And we had, you know, 8% growth rates in the economy. We had strong wages and high savings rates, except because people didn't have access to credit. You know, you, credit cards weren't a thing back then. My parents didn't have a credit card. They paid cash for everything. That was just their mentality. And it was that way until they died. I don't think my dad ever had a credit card. I, I don't ever remember my dad using a credit card his entire life, right? It was just a very different mentality. Everything was in the bank. It was in savings. They didn't invest. My parents did not invest in the markets, right? They kept everything in savings. A lot of it had to do with the crash in 1974. But, again, just a very different mentality then. And, you know, that mentality of, of my parents was you buy it when you can afford it. And you save up for it. You find something you really want, you save up for it, then you go buy it. And that was kind of what was instilled in me. I don't I don't use credit. We we in my household we pay for everything in cash. So you know Outside of a mortgage, right? My dad had a mortgage. I have a mortgage. But outside of that, we pay for cash. Right? It's just the way we were raised. It's just a, just a different mentality. And now today, we've got this whole attitude. is like, oh, I've got to have it now. I can't wait to save up for it. I've got to have the new iPhone. I've got to have, you know, the new this or the new that or the new computer, whatever it is. got to have it today. I can't wait for it. I've got to have it today. Well, now these afterpay systems say, great, buy it today. And you can pay for it over the next four months, whatever, right? And so... It allows people access to things. But, you know, this is all fine and dandy until you get into a situation where people can't make the payments. And, of course, when we have a real recession, when we have a position to where the government's going to not bail everything out at some point or choose not to bail you out, they may bail out the big banks, but they're not going to bail, you know, little guys out, then that becomes a problem. But, again, it's just kind of more of this whole idea of, you know, when we talk about economic growth and we talk about how strong the economy is, well, is it really that strong if really the consumption that's driving the economy is all built upon a pull-forward system, right? I'm spending money today I don't have, but I've got to pay for it in the future. So those payments eventually come due, Right. The question is just when and what's the function. But again, you know, great. If I'm loaning, but here's the thing, right? So I'm loaning you money today. I'm saying, okay, do you want to go buy this? And so this is the way Afterpay works. And I want you to think about this for a second because Afterpay has to make money. So how does Afterpay make money? So Afterpay says, look, if you buy something today and you can pay for it over the next four installments interest-free, okay, great. They're not making any money on the money they just gave you. So where do they make their money? They make their money when you miss a payment. Ah! So what this whole plan is based on is late fees, which means that there's a tremendous number of people out there that take out these afterpay loans and miss payments. You know, back in uh, 2008, you probably don't remember this. Now it's, you know, because it was an eon ago at this point. After the financial crisis in 2008, the housing market blew up. The government stepped in and said, hey, we're going to help homeowners stay in their houses. We don't want homeowners to lose their houses. Now, these were people that bought houses they couldn't afford. But now we came up with this great idea to lock people into the houses they couldn't afford instead of evicting, you know, saying, hey, look, you can't afford that house. You need to file for, you know, bankruptcy. Turn, you know, mail the keys back into the mortgage uh, company. And go find a job in a better state. You know, you live in Detroit where there's no work. You can now move to another state, find work, get yourself back on your feet. No, we didn't do that. We said, okay, tell you what we're going to do. You bought a house you can't afford, but we don't want the mortgage market and the bank. More importantly, the bank. Heaven forbid the mortgage market company. We don't want the banks to have to take these houses back. So we're going to create these two programs called HAMP and HARP. To keep you in that house. So we're going to refinance your mortgage for you at an ultra low rate. And we're going to try to get you set up so you can maintain that, that house that you bought that you couldn't afford. You know, And the majority, the vast majority of those Hamp and Harp refinancings failed again. More government dollars wasted. But the important thing was is that people that were in Detroit where there was no work, they couldn't they, they, they were locked into their house. Yeah, they refinanced their house. But now they're locked into it in a city where they can't get a job. So, of course, they re-defaulted. By the way, a lot of those houses are still in the books of banks <laughs> that are marked as paid. Because we don't have mark to market anymore. Um, anyway, you know, I, I think the, what's interesting about the acquisition by Square is it tells you a lot about where we are in the economy Probably be a good acquisition for Square. Gives them another revenue stream. Gives them uh, an ability to add another service to their payment system. So, you know, I think the stock's gonna be down about twelve bucks this morning on the news. But uh, probably good for them long term in terms of acquisition. But I think it tells you a lot about the financial stability of the system as well. Be right back after the break. Very You're listening to The Real Investment Show. welcome back to the show this morning it is uh 6 so we're ready to wrap up today's uh monday edition first day of august edition of the real investment show it's been an interesting show this morning <laughs> never a dull moment so many things so many things i could say right now we're just gonna be good uh Couple of things. A uh, couple of other things going on this morning. Of course, it's first day of August. As we talked about early in the show this morning, August tends to be one of the weaker months of the year. September also tends to be one of the weaker months of the year. So the risk of a correction here over the next month or so has certainly picked up gains. And and as we noted in this past weekend's newsletter on the website, a we've had a period of six straight months of gains in the markets. Now, is that unprecedented? No. Is it unusual? yes um can it go longer than six months absolutely but you are getting into one of the longer stretches of the markets right now without a correction now don't freak out that doesn't mean you know we're about to have the next 35 percent meltdown in the market it's not saying that at all but a five to ten percent correction is a norm within any given year and you haven't had one since last year this time right so we've had a pretty long stretch Without a pickup in volatility, what could cause it? Who knows, right? Nobody really knows. I mean, could it could be could it be COVID? Sure. Could be a bunch of people not showing up for work, boosting their immune system. I mean, could be a lot of things, right? Um, it's always that unexpected environment where something happens that we're not planning on. You know, a whole rash of companies missing earnings all of a sudden. I mean, it could be a lot of things you just don't know what it is right so it's just and this is why you know when you take a look and this is and this is the the problem with technical analysis right when people use technical analysis they try it they say okay i'm going to i'm going to use this thing of technical analysis and you know some guy on the radio said it always works nothing works 100% of the time What works 100% of the time is sticking to a strategy that has a history of working more often than not. But just because something doesn't occur because you think it should occur, i.e., as an example, we've had six straight months of, you know, of a market being up. August usually is a negative month, has a track record of that. Should we have a correction this month? Possible. But just because it doesn't happen doesn't mean the analysis is broken. It just means that the markets are doing something abnormal. So you have to stay with your discipline as long as your discipline has a track record of working. Now, I mean, there's a lot of disciplines that are just stupid that I've seen out there, right? But in bull markets, a lot of things, even stupid strategies work, (laughs) a bull market so again it's important to to make sure your strategy has performed in both a good market and a bad market but this is just kind of where we are and again just uh, again with august it's not uncommon to have a correction just something you'll be aware of does that mean you should be in cash right now no that's not what it means and the first day of august tends to be positive first day of every month tends to be positive because it's just positioning for the month, people kind of loading up their books, getting ready for the month. So not surprising, today is an update. But uh, interestingly enough, about uh, two three weeks ago, I've you know I, t- I told y'all at the beginning of this year that I've got an experiment running on Bitcoin. And a couple of weeks ago, when Bitcoin was violating thirty thousand, I was like, okay, I'm about to pull the plug on this. This is stupid. Um, and so I went to log into my account to sell it and I got locked out of my account and just because the password had expired and blah, blah, blah. So I had to log back in and go through this whole re-verification process. And so this whole re-verification re-ver- process took like two weeks to get straightened out. Yeah. Which is fortunate because I didn't get to sell my Bitcoin. Now it's up over 40,000. So so the experiment still runs. <laughs> I'll let it run through. I'm, my goal is to let it run through the end of the year. We'll see if I make it. It's It's been, so we're starting eight months now. Yeah. So we're making some money. I mean, you know, we're making some money on the trade, but we'll see how this all works out. Cause I started this on January the 1st. So we'll see uh, how the year turns out in terms of its movements. But, uh, you know, as, as again, you know, what Bitcoin really kind of represents is a shift of the speculative mentality. Um, you know, there for a while, it was all about memes, meme stocks, right? AMC and GameStop, and that was in the headlines every day. And apparently, that's lost some some luster because uh, there was an interesting chart out this morning showing the number of mentions on Wall Street bets about AMC, which has basically gone away. And that kind of that whole push, you know, AMC to the moon has faded, and it's kind of all shifted back towards cryptocurrency. And again, it's just. This kind of goes back to that speculative mentality of the market. These speculators are just kind of popping around different areas of the market looking for opportunity and, you know, kind of piling into it. And and Bitcoin was pretty beaten up and they all kind of pile back into that and have now run that price back up. And I'm presuming that probably over the next few weeks that we'll be talking about, oh, it's AMC again or GameStop or some other, you know, meme stock. That has gotten the attention of online traders. Now, the one the one interesting thing about this though, is that a big a, a lot of that speculative trading was really kind of pushed by, you know, both Robinhood, which was the online trading app, um, Wall Street Bets, which was the kind of the community hub website of of Reddit investors, that were chasing a lot of these stocks. And that was all combined with the shutdown of the economy because didn't have access to sports betting and, you know, all these stimulus checks. Had all this money, needed something to do with it, and I didn't have to pay rent. So why not invest it into the markets, right? Well, all that's kind of reversing now. Rents are due. Stimulus checks are fading. And, you know, the issue of the market may become a lot more challenging. You know, markets have, have, well, markets have kind of ground their way higher this year. It's been pretty it's been a pretty volatile run. I mean, it's been a lot of little dips along the way. It's been kind of slow it's been a slow grind higher. And you know that kind of loses its luster when it's not fast money overnight. You're not making 20 or 30 percent overnight, right? So it's kind of losing its luster at this point. So you're starting to see the volume of trading dry up here a bit. You're starting to see some of that enthusiasm kind of back off here a bit. But again, still a lot of it out there. Don't mistake me. But again, right now, it all seems to be kind of migrating back towards Bitcoin, which just broke out of a big consolidation range that had been in really since going back to May when I started trying to sell my coin and couldn't. (laughs) So it broke out to the upside. We'll see where it goes to from here. But again, just kind of goes back into this whole idea of of really kind of the markets and and kind of where we are. Now, you know, uh, Fed Governor Lael Brainard, um, she's one of the... Fed speaker. She suggested late on Friday that the central bank lightly won't announce any bond purchasing tapering at Jacksonville. That's also giving a lift to the markets this morning. Um, again, the, what the Fed does is they trot out all these different Fed speakers to say contradicting things. And this just kind of keeps the market trying to guess, right? Is it, you know, are they going to, are they going to announce taper? They're not going to announce taper. And so they kind of float these little things out there to see how the market responds to it. So, you know, I'm you know, somebody comes out when the Fed speaker says, yeah, we're probably going to taper and the market sells off. And then you get another Fed speaker right behind there and says, oh, no, we're not going to taper at all. And then the market runs back up again. So it's just the Fed really trying to figure out the temperature of the markets, potentially what they can get away with. And I think that my personal opinion is I think that next month when we have you know Jackson, sorry, late August, I said next month, I'm still in July uh, later this month when we have Jackson Hole. Um, I, I think that there's a real possibility that the Fed won't announce official taper, but they'll talk about the need to potentially taper as they start to approach full employment as we get in, in you know inflation at target levels, et cetera they'll start talking about talking about tapering and make it a more official process and, and again, we'll see what comes out uh, again but you know I think the the jobs report, um, for July, it will be important that we'll see that later on this week. We'll see how that, that number is looking, particularly for August as well. Um, when we get that in September, they'll tell us a lot. And I think really once, if we start to see employment improving a lot here, and and one of the reasons why we'll see employ, employ and look, over the next couple of months, we could see a fairly sharp jump in jobs because now that the eviction moratorium is off and unemployment benefits are running out, Google Google searches for job openings has spiked, not surprising. So, you know, all these record job openings we have, a lot of people are gonna be looking to fill those pretty quick. So I think we could see the next couple of months, we could see some fairly strong jobs numbers. That's not gonna be that bullish for the markets because if you have fairly strong job numbers, then that's gonna push the Fed more towards tapering than not. So strong jobs, not necessarily good for the markets. And that's one thing you'll just kind of want to pay attention to. Um, And again, just uh, pay attention to what's going on now with what's happening with these COVID cases and potentially, you know, more actions coming out of the government. Or, you know, are they going to shut down the economy? No, but I don't think they will. Definitely not in Texas, Arizona, those states for sure. But I think you'd very well see self-imposed lockdowns by individuals which could impact economic growth and slow spending down and slow some of the other things down that we've been kind of basing earnings expectations on as well as we head into third quarter and fourth quarter this year so again just things to kind of pay attention to here as we get into the new month um, but again the risk of a correction here stands so don't be overly aggressive here stay invested but just make sure you're managing your risk accordingly. If you have any questions, get by the website, need help, need a review. Always happy to help you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out as well. It's on the website now. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Monday, Monday, Monday. Always Sunday. Get daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.